This is John W. Whitehead, author of Battlefield America, The War on the American People, bringing you a message about the state of our nation. As a kid, I had lots of dogs. In fact, up until I left for college, I had a dog. I loved dogs. That's why I'm so concerned about what's happening to dogs and confrontations with police today. Incredibly, it's estimated that a dog is shot by a police officer every 98 minutes. The Department of Justice estimates that at least 25 dogs are killed by police every day in this country. One canine database estimates that the number of dogs being killed by police to be closer to 500 dogs a day, which translates to 182,000 dogs killed a year by police. In one out of five cases involving police shooting a family pet, believe it or not, a child was either in the police line of fire or in the immediate area of the shooting. For instance, a four-year-old girl was accidentally shot in the leg after a police officer opened fire on a dog running towards him, missed, and hit the little girl instead. At a time when police are increasingly inclined to shoot first and ask questions later, it doesn't take much to provoke a cop in opening fire on an unarmed person guilty of doing nothing more than standing a certain way, moving a certain way, holding something, anything that a cop could misinterpret to be a weapon. All a cop has to do is cite an alleged fear, quote-unquote, for his safety. As journalist Radley Balco points out, and I'm quoting here, it's too much of policing today. Officer safety has become the highest priority. It trumps the rights and safety of suspects. It trumps the rights and safety of bystanders. It's so important, in fact, that an officer's subjective fear of a minor wound from a dog bite is enough to justify using potentially lethal force. Believe that or not, folks. The epidemic of cops shooting dogs takes this shameful behavior to a whole new level, though. It doesn't take much for a cop to shoot a little dog. Dogs shot and killed by police have been guilty of nothing more than wagging their tails, barking in a greeting, or merely being in their own yard. For instance, Arzy, who was a 14-month-old Newfoundland, Labrador, and Golden Retriever mix, was shot between the eyes by a Louisiana police officer. The dog had been secured on a four-foot leash at the time he was shot. An independent witness testified that the dog never gave the officer any provocation to shoot him. Seven who was a St. Bernard, was shot repeatedly by Connecticut police in the presence of the dog's 12-year-old owner. Police investigating an erroneous tip had entered the property without a warrant, that's becoming more and more a problem, where the dog and her owner had been playing in the backyard and causing the dog to give chase. Duchess, a two-year-old rescue dog, was shot three times in the head by Florida police as she ran out her front door. The officer had been approaching the house to inform the residents that their car door was open when the dog bounded out to greet him. Peyton, a seven-year-old black Labrador retriever and four-year-old Chase, also a black lab, were shot and killed after a SWAT team mistakenly raided the mayor's home while searching for drugs that weren't found. Mayor Calvo described being handcuffed and interrogated for hours, wearing only underwear and socks, surrounded by the dog's dead carcasses and pools of dog's blood. Chihuahuas, among the smallest breed of dogs alive, known as purse dogs, seem to really push cops over the edge. In Arkansas, for example, a sheriff's deputy shot an aggressive chihuahua for barking repeatedly. The dog, Reese's, 
which was his name, required surgery for a shattered jaw and a feeding tube to eat. Same thing happened in Texas, except Trixie, who was on the other side of a fence from the cop, didn't survive the shooting. Let's put all this in perspective, shall we? We're being asked to believe that a police officer, fully armed, trained in combat, and equipped to deal with the worst-case scenario when it comes to violence, is so threatened by a yipping, purse dog weighing less than 10 pounds that the only recourse is to shoot the dog? If this is the temperament of police officers bred by the police state, boy, should we be worried. Clearly, our four-legged friends are suffering at the hands of an inhumane police state in which the police have all the rights, the citizens have very few rights, and our pets, viewed by the courts as personal property like a car, a house, but far less valuable, have no rights whatsoever. Folks, it's time to rein in this abuse of power. Ultimately, this comes down to better and constant training and nonviolent tactics, serious consequences for those who engage in excessive force, and a seismic shift in how law enforcement agencies and the courts deals with those who transgress and violate these essential principles. Many states are adopting laws to make canine training mandatory for police officers. After all, as the Washington Post points out, while postal workers regularly encounter both vicious and gregarious dogs on their daily rounds, letter carriers don't kill dogs, even though they are bitten by thousands every year. Instead, the postal office offers its employees training on how to avoid bites. Sounds reasonable, hmm? The Rutherford Institute is working on a program aimed at training police to de-escalate their interactions with dogs rather than resorting to lethal force, while providing pet owners with legal resources to better protect the four-legged members of their household. Yet, as I point out in my book, Battlefield America, The War on the American People, there will be no end to this bloodshed of unarmed Americans or their family pets until police stop viewing themselves as superior to those whom they are supposed to serve and start acting like peace officers they're supposed to be. The message to police, stop shooting the dogs and innocent people and start protecting the sanctity of all life. The Rutherford Institute is doing its part to push back against the police state and make the government play by the rules of the Constitution. But we can't fight these battles alone. To join the resistance, visit our website at www.rutherford.org and check out our library of thought-provoking commentaries, legal resources, and so much more. Subscribe to our email alerts and I will send you my weekly commentary, Rutherford press alerts, and a weekly rundown of pertinent headlines and news articles to keep you apprised of the growing threats to our freedoms. And finally, if you are able, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to the Rutherford Institute by again visiting us online at www.rutherford.org or donate using PayPal. Your donation allows the Rutherford Institute to push back against the government's power grabs, corruption, and ongoing assaults on the Constitution. Together, we can make America free again.